If you'll take your Bibles and turn with me to the book of Genesis, book of Genesis chapter 10 and 11 is where we're going to be this morning, um, looking at what goes on with the expansion of the world's population. Um, there are about 7.7 billion people in the world. That's a lot of people, right? Some, some of you don't like it when there's like more than three people in front of you in the checkout line. Um, you put 7.7 billion people around you. I actually don't want to be around you if there are 7.7 billion people because I'm not sure what you will do. But the, the world population is, is, is quite massive. Now think about it. If there are 196 countries in the world that we recognize as nations, not including all the thousands of people groups that make up all of those nations, but 7.7 billion people. What if I were to tell you, maybe you know this, maybe you don't, but America is the third most populated nation in the world. We're number three. Can I, can I tell you something that's uh, maybe a little staggering? We are nowhere close to number one and number two. Nowhere even close. China ranks number one with about 1.7 billion people and India not too far behind at 1.4 billion people. In other words, there are more people in the gap between China and India than there are in America. That's a lot of people. Maybe if I told you that over, uh, over half the world's population lives in the seven most populated countries. It would take about four and a half Americas to make the population of India. But if you take China, India, America, and let's go ahead and add to that um, Brazil, Indonesia, Pakistan, and Nigeria, we come up with about 52% of the world's population in those seven countries. That's a lot of people. That is a lot of people. Where did they all come from? How did we get such an expansive world population on such an expansive globe with people living everywhere? Now, it's, it's kind of cool um, to think about the way travel has evolved over the last couple of hundred years. It used to be if you wanted to go to some distant land, you had to jump on a boat that would set sail and it might take you a couple of months to get there. When the, when the pilgrims left from, from, uh, from England and came and settled in, in America and landed on Plymouth Rock, it was about a 64-day journey. You can fly from Atlanta to England in less than nine hours now. Kind of cool, right? It used to be if you wanted to go see family that lived uh, in, uh, let's say, Oklahoma, you had to load up and uh, get on your little wagon train with your covered wagon and you had your kids, you thought it was bad, your kids fighting in the backseat of your car, put them in the backseat of a bumpy wagon as they're going across the, the prairie side, the countryside, and having to camp every couple of, uh, every few hours and set up camp and, and spend the night and load it all up the next morning, then move on to the next one and take roughly three months by, tra by, by wagon train to get from here to the other side of Oklahoma that's a lot of travel anybody doing that holiday trip this week this month no it's Christmas you know the, the world and all of its expanse but we left last week with it just being eight people Noah and his wife his three sons Shem Ham and Japheth and their wives and that was it 
Where did everybody else come from? Where did that crazy uncle you're looking forward to seeing at Christmas, where did he come from? Let's look, if you will, in the book of Genesis. It says in the book of Genesis that these are the records of chapter 10, verse 1. These are the records of the generations of Shem, Ham, Japheth, the sons of Noah, and the sons that were born to them after the flood. And then chapter 10, it breaks it into three sections. We have the sons of Japheth, Gomer and Magog and Madai and Javan and Tubal and Meshach and Tyrus. And then it breaks down the sons of Gomer. But then in verse 6, it says the sons of Ham were Cush and Mizraim and Put and Canaan. And it breaks down all of their sons. And then in verse 15, Canaan became the father of Sidon, his firstborn, and Heth. And so we've got some of Canaan's sons, the sons of, of, uh, the sons of Japheth. But then verse 21, and Shem, the father of all the children of Eber and the older brother of Japheth, his children were born. The sons of Shem were Elam, Asher, uh, Arpachshad, Lud, Aram. The sons of Aram, and it goes on generation after generation. You know how family trees work. But what does that have to do with us today and the 7.7 billion people that live on this planet, the vast majority of them that we don't understand their language, the overwhelming majority of people in the world that don't have a true written language that we're trying to figure out how to communicate with them. They don't have an advanced education system. They, they, they don't go to school to get, a, to get a degree, to get a job, to chase the dream as, as we're kind of accustomed to here. How do, what does that got to do with us? We're looking at a population of people that came from these people. It all started with Adam. And through the generations of Adam, we get to one named Noah. Because of the wickedness in the world, the world was flooded. And after the flood, we're, we're left with eight people. And from them come all the nations of the world. So let's look real quick, just four quick truth statements that we're gonna look at uh, out of chapter 10 and chapter 11. And then we're gonna kind of break it down a little bit into to where we are and, and, and why does this matter? Because I know everybody this morning woke up this morning and said, hmm, we finished with Noah and the ark last week. Maybe we'll get to learn some, some, some personal genealogical history today at church. I'm excited to go. Everybody was excited about that, right? That's what you thought, right? Am I the only one? I'm the only one. All right. Multiplication is God's command for his people. Multiplication is God's command for his creation. If you will remember chapter 9, verse 1, we covered last week. I know we're supposed to be in chapter 10 and chapter 11. Chapter 9, verse 1, God blessed Noah and his sons and said to them, be fruitful and multiply, fill the earth. F fill the earth. This was the same command that God had given to Adam and Eve. He said, hey, everything out there, I need you to, I need you to subdue the earth, but I need you also, here's your command, be fruitful and multiply. Now, let's just back out a little bit. I am not a mathematician, nor am I a true historian. I like history. I like reading history. I like learning things from history. We've got to know our history. We can't rewrite our history because if we rewrite our history, we're prone to rewrite the parts we don't like, the parts that are uncomfortable. And if we rewrite those parts, we're prone to repeat those same mistakes, right? 
The Bible says, hey, uh, just like a, re- a dog returns to his own vomit, so does a man to his folly. We're going to make the same mistake over and over if we don't learn from our history. But, but we get into this passage of scripture and we're starting to wrestle with some things. And, and we've just got to ask this question. Okay, 7.7 billion people in the world now. What if Adam and Eve had never eaten of the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil? Death would have never entered the picture. Now, I would love to know, so, so who has a lot of free time this week? Anybody? Who has a smartphone? You all have free time because you have a smartphone and you use it for free time. All right, so, so here's what I want you to do for me this week because I don't have this kind of free time. I need somebody to calculate the number of people that have ever lived ever, period. Ever. I want you to think about something for a second. God created Adam and Eve in his image. He placed them in a garden, a specific place for them to inhabit, for them to to live forever. So the tree of the knowledge of good and evil was there. The tree that produced the fruit of eternal life, everlasting life was there. There was no sin. There was no chaos. There was no death, but there was the command, be fruitful and multiply, right? Yeah. Okay. So let's take all those people that have ever existed and let's put them in that garden right now. That was the plan. Because God commanded that we would be multipliers. He said, you bear my image, multiply my image. When we come to faith in Christ, we now bear the spiritual image of God and we are as his spiritual image bearers, not just the physical image bearers, to bear and multiply his image spiritually. That's our call. That's who we're supposed to be. Multiplication is God's command for his children. So the descendants of Noah, Noah says, okay, we can fulfill that command. Boys, you're married. You've got your wife. We've got to start repopulating the earth. This is up to us. There's literally no one else that can do this. No one. And so Noah's three sons brought forth the nations from the ancient Near East. I'm using this term ancient Near East very particularly. This is kind of one of those historical terms because it is what we would call the Middle East now, but it was the known world. I want you to notice with me what happens here. It says there in verse two of Genesis chapter 10, the sons of Japheth were Gomer and Magog, Madai, Javan, Tubal, Meshach, and Tyrus. The sons of Gomer were Ashkenaz, Riftha, Togarmar, the sons, man, the sons of Javan were Elisha, Tarshish, Ketim, Dodanim, and from these, the coastlands of the nations were separated into their lands, everyone according to his language, according to their families, into their nations. What we have here is the establishment of these sea traders, the, the, what we would later call the Syrophoenicians, these nations that kind of bordered the coastline of the northern and, and eastern Mediterranean, wrapping around into like what's modern day Turkey. From there, from Noah's family, that, from Noah's family under Japheth, that's where these people came. We understand Tarshish, right? Who have you heard of Tarshish before? Jonah, thank you. There we go. All, all the, uh, everybody that has young kids in the house, they know that one right now because they probably talked about Jonah. Yeah, I'm going to go to Tarshish. 
the, the furthest known point. Many historians believe that Tarshish was this little bitty island, probably part of the Canary Islands, just off the coast of Spain, where it goes into the Atlantic Ocean from the Mediterranean. They believe that's probably where Tarshish was. Think about this. These are sea farmers, these are sea traders, these are sea merchants, and that's how far as they were able to make it. The Bible shows us history. But then we have this other group. It says the sons of Ham were Cush, Mizraim, Put, and Canaan. The sons of Cush were Seba and Havilah and Sabta and Ramah and Sabteca. The sons of Ramah were Sheba and Dadan. Now Cush became the father of Nimrod. There you go. Hey, guys, I don't know if you like your name or not, but just be glad your dad didn't name you Nimrod, right? I mean, come on. We, we say Nimrod like you Nimrod. Like, you're not very smart, you Nimrod. Just be glad your name's not Nimrod. But here's the thing about Nimrod. Look at what it says about Nimrod. Cush became the father of Nimrod. He became a mighty one on the earth. He was a mighty, mighty hunter before the Lord. Therefore, it said, like Nimrod, a mighty hunter before the Lord. Huh? You like that? And it says, the beginning of his kingdom was Babel and Erech at Akkad and Kalneah, the land of Shinar. From that land, he went forth into Assyria and built Nineveh and Rehoboth, Ir and Kalah and Rezan between Nineveh and Kalah, that is the great city. We've got this expansion into what is now modern-day Iraq. Babylon sat right across the river Euphrates from what we call now Baghdad. That's kind of the historical area where all of this happens. Now, we understand the struggle with the Assyrians and what happens later in the history of Israel and the Babylonian conquest and the exile to Babylon. We understand all that. We understand Nineveh. And Jonah's like, I'm not going to Nineveh. Those people are wicked. And we're going to get to why that is the case here in just a minute. But all this came out of Noah's family. And, and he goes on, look at this, he says in verse, um, verse 13, Mizraim became the father of Ludim and Ananim and Lahabim and Methnathim and Parthusim and that other guy from which the Philistines and Kephtorium. All right, Mizraim, none of your Bibles translate Mizraim the right way, okay? It all says, they're in verse 13, it says Mizraim, correct? Look at your Bible, Mizraim. Mizraim is the Hebrew word for Egypt. Egypt the Egyptians from the line of Noah and not just the line of Noah Egypt was Noah's grandson look at there Egypt was Noah's grandson probably one of the greatest civilizations of the ancient world right here two generations removed from the flood Canaan became the father, verse 15, of Sidon, his firstborn, and Heth, and the Jebusite, and the Amorite, and the Girgashite, and the Hivite, and the Archite, and the Sinite, and the Aradite, and the Zimurite, and the Hamathite. And afterwards, the families of the Canaanite were spread abroad. The territory of the Canaanite extended from Sidon as you go towards Gerar, as far as Gaza, and you go down towards Sodom, and Gomorrah, and Adma, and Zeboim, as far as Loatia. Now, here's the thing. You're like, okay, where are all these places? Basically, the family of Ham settled in what we call Arabia, and the northern African line, Egypt, Northeast Africa. All these other places are in, are in Palestine and in the Arabian Peninsula. We've got all this from the line of Noah. And then he goes on to the next family. He says, also Shem, the father of the children of Eber, the older brother of Japheth, whose children were born. The sons of Shem were Elam and Asher and Arkpashad and Lud and Aram. The sons of Aram were Ubs and 
Uz and Hol and Gether and Mas. And Arphishah became the father of Shelah, and Shelah became the father of Eber. And two sons were born to Eber. The name of one was Peleg, for in his days the earth was divided. And his brother's name was Joktan. Joktan became the father of Almadad and Seleph. And there's a lot of names here. And all these people lived right there in the northern, northern Arabia. With the exception of Nimrod, the rest of these people now become what we have in Syria and Jordan and just east in Kuwait and just east of uh, just east of Israel through Iraq and, and over towards Iran. This northern Arabia, the nations of the world, there are 70 sons and grandsons of Noah that are listed here. This is important because you remember how many people Jesus sent out that one time? 70. What Jesus is demonstrating is us being sent out to the ends of the known world because the known world was established at this point as they went and the ancient Near East became from the family of Noah. What has this got to do with us? Let's keep going. Chapter 11 turns the pages just a little bit. It says, the whole earth used to be the same language and the same words. And it came about as they journeyed east that they found a plain in the land of Shinar and settled there. And we said to one another, come, let us make bricks and burn them thoroughly. They used brick for stone and they used tar for mortar. And they said, come, let us build for ourselves a city and a tower whose top will reach up into heaven and let us make for ourselves a name. Otherwise, we'll be scattered abroad over the face of the whole earth. But the Lord came down to see the city and the tower which the sons of men had built. The Lord said, behold, They are one people and they have all the same language and this is what they have begun to do. Now, nothing which they purpose to do will be impossible for them. So come, let us go down and confuse their language so that they will not understand one another's speech. So the Lord scattered them abroad from there over the face of the whole earth and they stopped building the city. Therefore, its name was called Babel. Because there the Lord confused the language of the whole earth. And from there, the Lord scattered them abroad over the whole face of the earth. We get in here to the Tower of Babel. Babel was man's failed attempt to reach to God alone. That's what's happening here. Now, now I want you to understand something. The, the, the Hebrews were not as interested in time sequence as we are. We live in this, we want it now, we want it in this order, we, we, we want things sequentially, Right? Um, some of you are the, are, are the crazy type that when you pick up a new book, you go and read the last chapter to see how it ends and then you start at the beginning. That way you can say, okay, I know how it ends. Let me see how, how it works, how we get there. I believe that most of us who are sports fans would do better waiting to watch our sports teams play after we know the final score. And then we don't get so invested and, and, and overwhelmed by what takes place on the field. I know as a Florida fan, the last eight years of my life would have been a whole lot easier if I'd have done that. I, I just know. But, but here's the deal. The, the people of the Hebrew understanding and what God's giving here through the hand of Moses is not for us to have an exact time sequence, but to see how things came about. So, so he starts off verse 10 and he gives us this, this history. This is where all the nations came from. This is how they all link to how they all link to Noah. But now in verse in chapter 11, he says, but this is how they went out from that one place. It says there that the people were gathered together. Notice with me, if you will, it says that they decided they're gonna make bricks, burn them thoroughly and use stone, the brick and tar and they were gonna build for themselves a city. Notice with me there in verse four, twice it comes up. It says, let us build for ourselves 
a city. And let us, let us build a tower whose top will reach into heaven and let us make for ourselves a name. Let us all do this for us. Let us make ourselves the center. Let us exalt ourselves and let us build what we can ourselves for us so that people and others will know us. Like, well, what other people? The families had already been multiplying. They had already been multiplying. You remember playing King of the Mountain when you were a kid? I don't know if they still let you play King of the Mountain in school today. Um, I always loved King of the Mountain. I, I rarely got to be king of the, the mountain. Um, we really should have called it in, in, in my school queen of the mountain because there, <laughs> there was this one girl. Her name was Valina Bailey. Valina Bailey, if you looked at her, you would think, eh, she's not much. She was taller than most of us, but she could have hidden behind one of these microphone stands. But Valina Bailey could outrun everybody. In second grade, she could outrun the fourth graders. I mean, she, she had, but man, when it came to play, we played this other game, Steal the Bacon. You, know, you remember I Steal the Bacon? You line up and you've got two lines of people. So you've got one to 15 here, one to 15 or whatever the number is. And you know, you, you've got a piece of, it's not really bacon. It's used like a bean bag. And they call your number and you've got to run out there and you've got, to, uh, you've got to grab the thing and get back to your side without getting caught or whatever. And if you get caught, then they, they get the point. Everybody hated when their number matched up with Valina's. They, they just, it, it got to the point where nobody would run out there because they knew they were going to lose anyway because she was good. But then we placed King of, King of the Mountain and Valina could whip every single one of us. Every single one of us. And then in third grade, there was a new kid in, in third grade. He, he wasn't a new kid to the school, but he was a new kid to third grade. His name was Nathel. Nathel had to repeat third grade. And, and Nathel, I kid you not, was the only kid in our elementary school that had to shave. He was a, literally a man among boys. It was funny, if it's funny, I, 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 I have to ask my parent, my mom, she can find one of our old school yearbooks if you don't believe me. Our class picture, you've got everybody here, you know, all the heads right here, Nathel, then everybody's back down. Once Nathel became a third grader with us, he was always king of the mountain. Quite honestly, because he was the size of an NFL linebacker and we weren't. And I'll never forget one day, Nathel was king of the mountain. And Valina, I mean, she was one of the sweetest girls you would ever meet. Never heard her say anything mean, nasty, ugly, but she said, you will never be who I am because I have made a name for myself as the queen of this mountain. Woo! Yeah, well... Nathel and Valina weren't in school for the next week. You can fill in the blank. But she had set for herself who she was going to be and she was gonna let no one 
stand in the way. She had attempted to achieve and to establish and to be this person. And anyone that got in her way was going to be collateral damage, as sweet as she was everywhere else. The people here in Genesis chapter 11 said, we do not care what else is out there. We are building for ourselves because we want to be impressive in and of ourselves. So we're not just going to put our best foot forward. We're going to quash any attempt that we would not be the best. Period. In the midst of all that, God said, you're doing this without me. This is not for me. This is not to glorify me. This is not who I created you to be. So he says there in verse six, they are one, lang- one people and have the same language and this is what they've begun to do. Now, nothing which they purpose to do will be impossible for them. Now, now here, here's the deal. We can read those words just right off the page and be like, well, man, that's, That's a pretty good shot in the arm if we just all collaborate and put everybody's eyes together. There's nothing we can't accomplish. That's not what God's saying here. The idea is the bent of heart. There is nothing that they will not bend their heart to do in order to attain for themselves what I alone can provide. These people were trying to establish themselves for themselves apart from God. It's the same creepy lie that slithers into each one of our hearts each and every day. To do for ourselves, to to glorify ourselves, to build ourselves apart from God, apart from who he is, apart from who he's called us to be, apart from how he has designed us to function in this world. He, He told the command, be fruitful and multiply, fill the earth, subdue it. Now, it's not that you can't build for yourself a civilization. You can't build for yourself a city. But the command, the de- de- design, the task was not to build something that would get you to God, but to know who God is and to live under his rule, his reign, his authority. They were trying to get there outside of his way. But then we get to the last part of chapter 11. And in chapter 11, we have generations that are listed for us again. It says, these are the records of the generations of Shem. Shem was 100 years old and became the father of Arpachshad two years after the flood. See, what happens here is we start tracing the line of Shem because God's promise of a redeemer was carried through Shem. Now, now Shem really just means name. If you want to translate it completely. So his name is name. So what's your name? Name. Name. Come here, name. There's, there are some really bad names in the Bible. <laughs> name is one of them. So if you just want to, you know, be a, be a nobody, name your, if you want your kid to grow up and be a nobody, just name him name or boy or girl. Just something generic. But he says there, he says, Arpachshad lived 35 years, became the father of Shelah. Shelah lived 35 years, became the father of Abra. Abra lived 35 years, became the father of Peleg. Peleg lived 30 years, became the father of Ru. Ru lived 32 years, became the father of Sarag. Sarag lived 30 years, became the father of Nahor. Nahor, verse 24, lived 29 years, became the father of Terah. And Terah lived 70 years and became the father of Abram, Nahor, and Haran. We, we get to Abram. There are... 10 generations from Noah to Abram. 
There were 10 generations from Adam to Noah. God is working in sequence to bring about, bring about and carry out his promise because he said in Genesis chapter three, there will be a one that is the seed of this woman that will bruise the head of the serpent. We'll put an end to the curse. We'll put an end to the pain. We'll put an end to this wickedness and this death and this decay and this spiritual separation that sin has brought into the world. The, the world where we live. The world that turns its back on us and uses us and plays us and, and, and really just tries to, to get the best of us without giving anything really back. That's the world where we live. That's why we all walk through life struggling. You might have a good job. You, you might have a good marriage. You might have good kids, but you still have struggle. You, you still have pain, you still have heartache, you still have question, you still have uncertainty. All of this is part of the brokenness of the world and God promised that a redeemer would come and through the line of Shem, he comes because from Shem we get to Abram, from Abram we get the promise of a people and from those people come our Messiah, Christ Jesus. Really, this is kind of a Christmas message, isn't it? That one would come and he did? So, so how does this connect? We got 7.7 billion people in the world. We've got 996, 195 nations in the world. How does all this connect to my heart in 2018 in Fairburn, Georgia? How does all of this, what, what God has done and populating the earth, what do the ancient Near East people have to do with me? Let's start. Christmas reminds me that God is faithful to fulfill his promise of redemption. We got, we got the tree, we got the wreaths. I, I want to thank uh, Common Ground and other people that came out and helped decorate uh, this week and make everything look nice. Some of you have your, your Christmas lights and your Christmas trees up. Um, so, some of you, some, some of you uh, extra Christmassy people um, decorated your house like two weeks before Thanksgiving. Um, some of you have a, a Clark Griswold display in your front yard that lights up the entire neighborhood. Um, some of you, some of you don't decorate, and that's okay. It's a time where we shop, we get gifts. It's a time where we where we wrap presents. It's a time where we talk about family, and, and sometimes even talking about family and the gifts and the gatherings bring bring about pain because someone's not there that we want to be there. Whether they're, whether they're in a different part of the world and can't be here or, or they're, they're not with us anymore. All, 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 of this, all of these things get brought up and brought into the picture at Christmas. But ultimately, Christmas is a reminder that God fulfills his promise to redeem. It says there in the passage of Scripture, it says, these are the records of the generations of Terah, verse 27. Terah became the father of Abram, Nahor, Haran, and Haran became the father of Lot. Haran died in the presence of his, his father Terah in the land of his birth in Ur of the Chaldeans. But Abram and Nahor took wives for themselves. The, the name of Abram's wife was Sarah, and the name of Nahor's wife was Milcah, the daughter of Haran, the father of Milcah and Iscah. Sarah was barren. She had no child. Abram, this one that the line of Genesis will follow, has taken a wife who cannot have kids. 
But as we'll find later in Genesis, as many of us know, she did have a child, a son named Isaac, that is a son of laughter that God gave her miraculously. Why? Because God is faithful to fulfill his promise. Always. Forever. We know that God is faithful to fulfill his promise because Jesus came. Because there was a night in Bethlehem. Because there was a virgin who conceived. Because there was a child that was born. Because there was a cross on which he died. And there was a tomb that was empty. Christmas reminds me that God is faithful to fulfill his promise. Shem carries that load. Of the three sons of Noah, of of one of the four men given the task of repopulating the earth after the flood, Shem carries the load because of the hand of God fulfilling his promise. The second thing that we've got to see is that the nations are the target of God's redemption. The nations are the target of God's redemption. Sometimes we get lost on this. Yeah, we're in America, it's 2018, we've got government that doesn't get along with each other, we've got injustice in our own streets, we've got healthcare debates, we're, 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 we're in debt by the trillions to other countries, I mean, just there are a lot of things that we've got to focus on here for us, right? Is that why God sent his son so that we could have America with all of its problems? See, see, America is not in the Bible. We don't get to faith in Christ looking at what the Bible says about America. Because America is not the savior. America is not the source of salvation. Redemption doesn't go through America. Redemption came to America. Redemption doesn't doesn't go go. Um, trying to think of how I want to say that. Say something different. One hundred and ninety six nations. We can't assume that we're the only ones that the gospel relies on. Because the gospel was going forward before we were ever a country, right? You can trace it through, through, through Europe. You can trace it through, through, um, through Northern Africa. You can trace it all throughout the Middle East. There, there, are, some, there are some line of church history that teaches, that, uh, that, that, that holds the, the idea that James, yes, the James, the one who wrote the, the, the book of James, left Jerusalem and didn't come east, I mean, didn't come west towards Europe, but went east as far into India as he could possibly go to plant the seeds of salvation that way. And, and so, so we have this, this, this picture here that God created man in his own image and the image of God, he created him, male and female created he them and told them to be fruitful and multiply. And from there we have the expansion of nations all over because God was seeking to redeem the world by the blood of his son, Jesus Christ. The nations are the target of redemption. God didn't seek just to redeem you where you sit, I'm so glad he did. 
but the world where we sit. And our corner of the world here in America may be one of the best springboards to get the gospel as far as we possibly can, but it is not the only springboard because the target of redemption is the nations. See, Abram moves with his father and they end up in from Ur the Chaldeans, Chaldeans to, to the land of Haran, which Haran was one, Haran was Abram's brother, but there was another Haran that was his grandfather. Anybody here named after a grandfather or a father or anything? Happened in the Old Testament too. So it's a couple of different Harans that are going there. So they moved to, back to granddaddy's land over here. But that was just one of many nations because that redeemer was gonna come from the people of Israel to be a blessing to the world. The nations are the target of God's redemption. That, that's why we do missions. See, missions are not just a church program, but how God's family reaches to the ends of the earth. Missions are not just a church program, but how God's family reaches to the ends of the earth. See, this passage of scripture takes us to the ends of the known world at, at that time. Oh man, I wish there could be like, and maybe, maybe there's one out there, but I wish there was like a history of the world map that shows how from right there in the center of the Middle East, the center of the Arabian Peninsula, right here in this land of promise that God gave to the people of Israel through Abraham. I, I wish there was a way to show how from the days of Noah, civilizations expanded. And how, okay, so you've got this clan of family. Maybe let's take Nimrod's family. They're living there, there among Nineveh. And one of his great grandsons decides to go from Nineveh northward. It ends up somewhere in Russia. And from there, somebody ends up over in what we call China now. And, and I, I wish there was a way to see and then see how all of the Polynesian boat people got on their boats and went from island to island and how all of this took place. It would be amazing to be able to see that, right? But since we can't see that, We've got to see that the world population rests on the responsibility of followers of Christ to proclaim his message abroad. That's why we have America, because people wanted to be able to worship God. America as we know it. There were, there were Native Americans already here. They didn't know God, but what happened? People started telling them about God, about this true Christ, this true, it was missions. We have missionaries, 3,800 uh, Southern Baptist missionaries that are on the field, other parts of the world. Some of them you'll never know. Some of them you might meet but not know their real name because they can't tell you the real name because of where they live and how dangerous it is. This isn't just a church program to say, well, we're gonna, we're gonna have some cool crafts that you can buy. Or we're gonna send this offering, this money, or we're gonna do this really awesome trip. It's not a church program. It's how we, the family of God, go to the ends of the earth. The people that came out of the line of Noah, they moved from, from Babel out to the ends of the earth. They went as far as Tarshish and they went up into the northern areas of, 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 the, of, the, of the Middle East. They filled the Arabian Peninsula. They went into Africa. All of these families expanded to the ends of the earth as far as they could. But we are God's family and we have the responsibility to carry this message of Christmas, this hope that God is faithful to fulfill his promise of redemption to the ends of the earth. That's how we do it. We, 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 don't, we, don't, 
don't do it like in a one-time missions offering. We don't do it in a once a year. We do it as a way of life to proclaim the gospel. And maybe the ends of the earth for you is somewhere over here on, on, uh, on Dodge Street. Or maybe, maybe it's down Roosevelt Highway somewhere. It doesn't matter what the ends of the earth is in your life. It's that you are carrying this message with you. That's missions. That's hope. But see, missions draws us back into prayer. Missions do not happen without prayer. We don't reach to the ends of the earth unless we are seeking that God would not only send us, but raise up people to be sent. Now, I want to invite you this Wednesday night. You've already got your calendar clear Wednesday night because we have church stuff going on midweek every week, Right? Right? This week, we've got a special opportunity to gather together to pray for specific people groups for the mission of God to go forward from here. If we're followers of Christ, that's what we're called to do, to take the message of hope to the ends of the earth. That's how we reach. It's not a program. It is how we as a family operate in this world. In our schools, in our workplaces, in our doctor's office, in our stores, everywhere we go. So I wanna invite you Wednesday to join us in prayer, a specific time to pray over international missions because we have a great opportunity to reach a world, a world of 7.7 billion people. See, God's family of that 7.7 billion makes up about 33% of the population of the world. A little over 2 billion people, about 2.5 billion people in the world claim some form of Christianity. That doesn't mean they're all Southern Baptists. There are only about 16 million of us and about 8 million of those we don't ever see, but they're on a roll somewhere. But Catholic, Baptist, Methodist, Episcopalian, Church of God, non-denominational, which is the vast majority of the world population of, of, of Christians, only about 2.5 billion Christians. Now, I know two and a half billion Christians, that's a lot. That's only a third of the world population. That's only a third of the people of the world that need to know who this God is. And it doesn't matter if they came out of the line of Shem or the line of Japheth or the line of Ham. It doesn't matter where they came from. It matters that they were made in the image of God and we carry this worldview that, that God made us in his image, that we could know him, that we would be redeemed. And so we as his family go and share the good news of him who has come. And that last point, because Jesus came, I commit to praying for his family to multiply to the ends of the earth. Remember where we started? Multiplication is God's command for his creation. Multiplication is God's command for his creation. Multiplication was Christ's command for his church. Go therefore and make disciples. Teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. Baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. 
That's a multiplication principle. And it might be that you're able to multiply by one and you're able to reach somebody, but maybe it means that you multiply by two or by eight or by 64 or by 290,000, that you're able to reach and reach. And that's how we pray together. Multiplication is the principle. We've seen how the world has multiplied. We have seen how the population has dramatically increased. I can remember in my lifetime when it was like, man, there are 6 billion people in the world. That's a lot of people. In my life, I've only been around 36 years and there's already another 2 billion people on this planet almost. That's a lot. What are we doing to catch up? Multiplication is God's command, but multiplication is also the plan of Christ for the church. So we, because of Christ, commit to praying that we would go to the ends of the earth, that his name would be glorified. Jesus says, I am the light of the world. This is John chapter eight, verse 12. I am the light of the world. I've come that they might not walk in darkness. May we multiply that the world not walk in darkness, but in the glorious light, the light of Christmas, the light of Christ, the light of God. Let's pray.